You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft clipping, high gain, amp in a box style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com, that's summerschoolelectronics.com, and check them out today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast, or welcome to the podcast if this is your first time. I really appreciate you, and I hope you enjoy today's program. Before we get into this, I need to share kind of some bummer news, which you may have seen on the socials, but maybe not. So this is the second Keonashi appearance on the podcast. A few weeks ago, I had August on, and now I'm talking to Alex, and this was a lot of fun. It was a really great chat. But unfortunately, the boys went on tour. They were in Anaheim, and their very, very first stop, they were getting ready to play a show that night in Anaheim at Chain Reaction, a venue they've been really looking forward to playing for years and years. And someone broke into the quote-unquote secure parking lot where their trailer was being stored that had almost all of their gear in it, and made off with the entire trailer. So not only are they out of almost all of their gear, including the drum set, the in-ears and all that stuff, they are also out all the merch that they paid for, had made, and was planning on selling on this tour. So yeah, they really got hosed. They got hosed big time, and they could use some help if you are at all able. I'm going to put the link to their GoFundMe in the show notes. They just need a little bit of help to make this tour actually, you know, not cost them thousands and thousands of dollars. So if you're in a position where you're able, I know they would really, really appreciate it. And again, that link is in the show notes, or if you go to 
any of their socials, you will find the links there as well. So with that out of the way, uh, the chat was really great. Unfortunately, all the gear we reference in it will, uh, you know, most of it will not be what the setup is anymore. They'll be playing with whatever they can cobble together. And I got to give those guys props for soldiering on and making a bad situation work for them. You know, I talked to August right as soon as I saw it posted and their attitude was much better than mine would be, or August's attitude anyway, was much better than mine would have been. And uh, yeah, so bummer for those guys, but I think you'll get to know Alex on this one a little bit better. And if you haven't listened to the episode with August, hop over there and do that after you listen to this one. They're great people and uh, really enjoyed chatting with them. So without further ado, here is the episode with Alex from Kanashi. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Alex Hallquist from Keonashi. What's going, going on, on guys? dude? Hey, how's it going? How are you? I am, you know, trying to... Everyone can leave me alone. That's it. Phone's going in to do not disturb. Yep, I'm yeah, tired got, of talking to everybody. We've They're got like not. two weeks before we leave for this tour, and I'm like completely in over my head it's our first time doing like an in-ear rig fully and we're trying to do direct front of house tones and stuff so like trying to set up midi patches we're just we're i'm over over my head (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah august was telling me about that when he came on like we were talking about kind of the challenges and uh and benefits of going in ears yeah and it's so funny because like right after i did that podcast i did one with uh buzz osborne from the melvins and he was just like, I'm not playing with no in-ears. Like, yeah. I want to hear the whole thing. Like, total old school, uh, different approach to it. And I, he made some great points, but he's also never tried in-ears. So. Yeah, and that's how that's how uh, <laughs> Peter, my vocalist, is, and Peo, my drummer. They both just want to be punk rock, you know, balls to the wall, plays, play to the room, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be able to hear everybody clearly. Like, we did one show so far with in-ears, and it was like, I could hear my guitarist so well. You know, like, that mm-hmm. normally doesn't happen ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't done a show with them, but, you know, whenever we would practice, we'd pretty much practice. This was back when I played with the band, but we'd practice full-blown, you know, as if we were playing a show. Yeah. And I couldn't hear anything, you yeah. know? And then we adopted in-ears and, like, miking up the amps and running everything through headphones. It was like, oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was missing so much that I didn't realize I was missing. Yeah, and that's what even like we're even using uh we're using the HX stomp. So everything's already digital anyway, so we don't have to worry about miking or like running through a two notes or anything like that. We can just uh send everything straight XLR straight into the rig. So it kind of mm-hmm. has been working out pretty seamlessly, yeah. but we haven't had chances to run it on the road yet. So that'll be a you know, that's its own whole monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you'll get it all figured out about the time that you get home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You'll have it all dialed in by then. But uh, let's tell the audience about yourself. You know, we got Alex's or, or got uh, August's story. Sorry, there's too many A's going on. Yeah. But uh, we got August's story last time. Uh, and maybe we should get yours this time. Let's do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll go from the beginning. So the way that I got into like music and and uh, performing in general, my uh, mom was really big into plays and musicals and stuff like that when I was growing up. So starting in like first, second grade, I was doing 
plays and musicals and then got into choir in middle school. And then when I was 13, I think, I picked up a bass guitar because a buddy of mine got a BC Rich Warlock and we just wanted mm -hmm. to shred, you know, in our basements. Totally. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And then I uh, kind of just picked up guitar after bass just because I wanted to keep playing. And um, pretty much everybody that I was like around in high school, nobody plays anymore. I just kind of was the only one that I'm still playing. Then I went to college and met Peter at college because uh, our drummer at the time worked at a pizza shop and I worked at the same pizza shop. So uh, he came in listening to Despised Icon one time and I was nice. like, yeah, Yo, you listen to Despised Icon? And then got to, you know, talking back and forth. And then he's like, yeah, I'm in a band. You should come play. And then one thing led to another. I met Peter and it's been history ever since then. So yeah. Um, yeah. Middle school is when I started picking up guitar because of... Mm -hmm. Claudio from Coheed and Cambria, and then it's kind of stuck with me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as is the tale for so many of us, right? You know? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> middle school is about the time I started picking up guitar, too, and I, all I wanted to do was just play on stage in front of 12 amplifiers and yeah, exactly. blow my hair it's off. It's like one of the only you know? things that my parents gave me that I didn't, they didn't have to tell me to practice. You know what I mean? It was like, right. all right, I'm in. I'm locked in my room 12 hours a day doing nothing but, you know, playing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I, I started on piano, and while I do part of part of me wishes I would have stuck with it more, I can, you know, pretend to play a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, my piano teacher, though, I kept bringing her like different rock songs to play that had no piano in them, and she's like, "Maybe you need to play guitar." Like, and it yeah. wasn't even like one of those things where it's like you're not very good at piano, so you should play guitar instead. It was just like every song I would bring her, it was. Yeah. So we would just be playing, you know, piano chords over these rock songs. And yeah. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. And I love keys and piano. Like, I probably love them more now than I did then. But um, she just recognized it, I guess. So I didn't really take lessons, though. So I just yeah. kind of... And that's what I always tell like, all my friends thing. that, like, start playing guitar. Like, my advice to them isn't, like, don't go, you know, shredding or running through scales. That's not going to make you want to play, like... Pick the easiest song you can think of that will get you stoked on guitar and learn that. Like, mm -hmm. I think one of the first songs I learned was The Zoo by the Scorpions. And it's just like, dun, 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 like the whole time. Like it's the same right. thing the whole time. And it's like, <laughs> but when you play along with it, it feels cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the very first thing that I ever like realized that I taught myself how to play by ear was Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I was just like, man, this is this is awesome. That's yeah. when it really hit for me. It was like, oh, guitar rules. Yeah, yeah I remember and, one, one of the first songs that, um, like I was trying to learn a Zeppelin song, uh, Over the Hills and Far Away. And I remember my mom being like, are you trying to play Led Zeppelin? And I was like, heck yes, I am. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, guitar's in, a, guitar's in a very interesting place right now. You know, even as, as much as, I don't know, or as recent as, you know, four or five years ago, people were like, Guitar music's dying, guitar music's on its way out, you know, there's no more rock stars, and that last part may be true, but I don't think guitar is going anywhere, not for a very long time. I feel like it's it's more prevalent now than it was, in, certainly when people were having that discussion. Um, what is your take on it? Yeah, I feel like it's coming back into the limelight now, like, in, in popular music too, you know, like Machine Gun Kelly and all these people that are now going the pop punk sort of guitar route that are still in the hip hop rap realm, you know? Yeah. So like even in like the main limelight is coming in, but now you have all these like crazy instrumental guitarists like Plenty and Intervals and like there there's a guitar market for guitar heads. Mm -hmm. You know, not just not just shredding, but like being able to, you know, 
write hooks and melodies and lines all within within your instrument, which is cool. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to notice a trend. Uh, I had Aaron from Intervals on here a few weeks ago. Yeah, listen to and, that one. Very cool. Oh, you did. <laughs> okay, nice. Thanks. Uh, and then I just talked to uh, Misha from Periphery yesterday, and they both said the same thing. While they're like definitely viewed as like modern guitar heroes neither of them view themselves that way they both primarily see themselves as composers and it was really interesting like misha seemed in people hear this on the episode he seemed pretty uncomfortable with the idea that he would be considered that <laughs> and that's and for me I, I was like trying to talk him into like no you should just accept it and he's yeah. like no nah. you know i'm yeah. paraphrasing but i mean like he's one of those guys that talks about how he doesn't like know theory or apply the theory he just does what sounds good and I'm, I'm, I'm the same way so like there's two very very different realms of you know how you approach guitar playing which is cool 100 percent. i mean that's me too i don't i have no idea what i'm doing most of the time i just like <laughs> Put finger on fretboard, press. Yeah. Yay. Oh, that's the wrong spot. Yeah. No, that's the right spot. Yeah, like, do you yeah. know the letters? Like, no, I only know the fret numbers. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know the cowboy chords. Yeah. I can, yeah. I can, I can tell you what a G is. Yeah. Like, I learned and the then cage I, system, but it's like, I only know that, like, in that sense. Like, when now I'm on a seven string, it's like, all that theory's out the window. It's all gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just like, let's see what happens. Yeah. But, but I can tell you what chip is in my delay pedal. So that'll tell you where my time went. <laughs> oh, exactly. boy. Yeah. So as far as gear goes, like, what was your journey like in regards to that? Well, the, the first amp that I got was, you know, the crappy Marshall MG10 that everybody had, you know. And then I got a Digitech Hothead Distortion. And that was, like, the first thing that I was able to, like, stomp on a button and, you know, play. Like, it was, like, this magic box that, like, made everything mm -hmm. better, you know. And totally that, like... I don't know. I feel like it, my my tone search started the second that my guitar playing started because it was like, how do I, how do I get that sound from Rush? You know, like I didn't know what a chorus pedal was at the time. You know, it's like I did. Totally. How, what is that sound? How do I even you know search for that? So uh, yeah, over the years I've been picking up gear, and then when I started playing more live shows consistently, I bought a Line Six Pod uh, HD Pro just because it was easier to run that then run a bunch of pedals and a head and have to take time setting up because when you're like the first guy on a bill on a 10 band show when you're first starting out it's like you have 30 seconds to get your gear on and off the stage and you better <laughs> be able to do it quickly and it better work immediately like mm -hmm. so yeah now i'm getting back into like more boutique pedals and i would like to run a head live but i'm still running the stomp live like i said but i have a uh 5150 the evh el34 50 watt which is mm -hmm. super fun love it yes. but um you know, bringing ahead is its own its own whole thing on on stage. So, yeah, just kind of running everything everything from the board, including the power amp. Got a uh, Seymour Duncan Power Stage two hundred. Okay, sweet. Yeah, it's it's really incredible, and this this gets brought up over and over again on this show. The difference between you know the, about the time that you and I started playing, and the like low end. And I wouldn't wouldn't say just low end. Though it definitely applies to uh, entry level stuff as well, but like how good the sounds are in the digital realm now. Yeah, it's like it's so ridiculous. ridiculous. It's so insane to imagine that you could, you know, buy a couple plugins or get some free ones. Yeah, plug in direct and have way better sounds recorded than either of us could ever have imagined yeah. as teenagers. And people have been saying that since you know the red bean pods, but it's like you go back to that now and you're like, what? is this you know so i'm sure five ten years from now it's gonna happen again you know 
mm-hmm. ten times over. <laughs> yeah. So I see that with the red bean pod. I had a uh, I was I was pretty young, but I I had a boss that was like found out I like guitar, and he was really into guitar as well. And so he let me take home like this super nice Gibson um, gold top reissue just to borrow for a weekend. And then he's like, "You're gonna really want to try this too." And he got the red bean pod and handed it to me, and I was like, "Okay." I mean, the Gibson was amazing. But I was go- going through that pod, and I'm like, this isn't what I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, even then, I knew it was like, this This guitar is awesome. This is not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And especially like when it's your first time dealing with like a digital modeler like that. Like, I think the first one that I had was a, a Boss GT10. And it was like, mm-hmm. when I first got it, it was like, man, I can't make this thing sound good. But then once you start like thinking about it like a real pedal board and like actually building a full pedal board inside of itself, it uh, yeah. it starts to make more sense. And then you get mm-hmm. to be able to build real pedal boards and it makes sense to you because you knew how to do it in the digital world, you know? Right. We've talked a lot about your live setup. When you go in to record, what, is, what does it look like? I mean, the, the past two records, we just used a Kemper, but we also brought a bunch of pedals to play with that we put in front of that. Like, we used the Digitech Whammy a bunch or, um, yeah, just like different overdrives and flangers and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, for the most part, it's just been digital. I would love to go into like a, a full studio with like all kinds of gear and like bring our heads and stuff, but um, logistically, it just made sense to do the digital thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now you can do that and actually pull off a legit record, which is just insane. Yeah, I, I think you probably heard me talking to August about the "If I Die First record and how it made me so sad. Yeah, like. Like, oh, you find out it's I've all wasted. plugins. Yeah, it's all plugins. I was like, oh, all well, plugins, all program the, uh, drums. The, the Pliny Sunhead EP. He said something. He used lot, the Line Six Helix Native plugin, and that's mm-hmm. it for all the guitar and bass tones on that EP. And I was like, man, like I've had that thing forever. I don't know how how he's getting these tones out of it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just got to sit down and go down the uh, deeply nerdy rabbit hole, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Try every single one of the thousand amps they have in there. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> oh man, I haven't messed with the, the Helix Native. The, really, the only the only digital stuff I've spent a lot of time with is the STL Tones uh, amp plugins. Mm-hmm. That's all I've messed with so far. And I'm I'm like, this is I feel like I'm cheating or something. Yeah, it's 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 too it's making it too easy. Yeah, that's how but for August and I have gotten pretty partial to the Neural DSP stuff. Like definitely for bass, we use the Neural Parallax every time, and then. We kind of bounce between the neural Gojira and the uh, Kali and the Pliny and Nolly. Mm-hmm. We, can, we like buy them and share licenses, you know? So we kind oh, of yeah. just have like <laughs> all of them for the band to use. <laughs> right. Totally. That's a uh, oh, man. I got to get into some of the neural stuff. Doug from neural slash dark glass is supposed to come on the podcast here oh, wow. pretty soon. We've we've been trying to do it a few times and we've had to reschedule, but it yeah. will happen one of these days. I want to pick that guy's brain. I'm sure with all the quad cortex stuff. August and I are both we both have our pre-order in for the quad cortex. So we'll probably be switching to that with in 2022. Have a whole new thing to learn. Mm-hmm. So what what guitars are you primary primarily playing today? I got two during the quarantine brand new. So I got a uh, a Jericho Fusion Evertune, which mm-hmm. is a uh, it's like a Tele body shape. Um, it's like a normal scale length, but because it's got the Evertune, I thought that'd be fine to drop into our low tunings and still be able to hold everything well. And it's been working out really great. You know, I love it. And mm-hmm. um, then I also got a the PRS Mark Holcomb seven string, mm-hmm. which I'm, I've been kind of trying to stay away from buying signature guitars because I feel like it's kind of a cop out. But 
Guitar feels so great, man. I can't right? <laughs> can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> what are the specs on that thing? Uh, I think it's a 27-inch scale length, and then it's got his mm-hmm. um, his signature Seymour Duncan Alpha and Omega pickups in it, and it's a walnut body. They're both walnut bodies. Um, yeah. Cool. Very cool. The Evertune, that is not something I have any experience with. And I know it's a very divisive subject, but you seem to like it? Yeah, our uh, our engineer, Evan Sammons, uh, uh, we record with him up in Maine. He's in a band, uh, Last Chance to Reason. He does a lot of work with Jamie King. We um we went up to him, and he had this Halo guitar that had an Evertune. And he's like, you guys can try to use this for parts of the record if you want. And um, just it made a lot of things so much easier. Because you can set it to, you can lock it to just be completely in tune, or you can make it pretty easy to bend also. So the way I have it set live is that my lower end is pretty locked, but my higher strings are pretty bendy. So if we do like any sort of leady, solo-y kind of stuff, I can still bend around up there. But then the low end, if I hit really hard, it's not going to, you know, bow super far out of tune or anything like right. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I didn't realize you could do individually like that i thought it was one way or the other yeah no you could do each each string it's kind of got like a pendulum that once it gets close enough to the bridge then you can um then it's bendable so if you bring it back then it never gets close enough to the bridge to bend so you just need to get it close enough that it it's in that right zone i think a lot of people who listen to the show probably know what ever tune is but i don't think it's quite commonplace enough that they do so maybe explain that for people so it's 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 a hardtail bridge that um, will completely lock your guitar note completely in tone. So no matter how far you bend it, no matter, you could like hold the guitar by the strings and it'll still be completely in tune. Because it like automatically resets the tension. I don't know, it's in some magic wizardry to me, honestly. But it's, it holds tune really well, um, even in low tunings. And then they have a uh, like a string tension calculator, like I guess they have different uh, bridges for if you're like really, really low tuned or if you're a lighter gauge, they have different saddles for depending on what your tension is that you need. So, okay. Yeah. You can like replace Isn't it like a saddles. spring system inside of it of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like the same thing with a Floyd Rose. You can kind of hear the springs like inside the body of the guitar while you're strumming, you know, mm-hmm. so it doesn't come out of the output obviously at all, but you can sort of hear, hear that there's stuff moving around in there. Interesting. I've got to play one. I'm definitely not going to sacrifice a guitar to like mod it to have one, but yeah, I really want to play a guitar with that has one in it. Yeah. So I talked to August about your guys' writing process, and we're going to refer to that episode a lot because obviously they're in the same band. Yeah, so totally. if you haven't listened to that episode, <laughs> go back and listen to that. Then this one might make more sense. But it seems like you two are pretty well meshed up. And yeah. how you guys create. Can you explain that from your perspective? Yeah, so uh, I was already in the band and I was doing pretty much all the writing for um, the the Native and X-Prayers and Never Home EPs. I pretty much did all of the writing for that. August joined in that Never Home uh, time period. So once he joined, I started going to his house and we were writing together. So he started writing some guitar parts and then I would sort of rearrange it or he would take parts that I wrote and then restructure them or tell me like, oh, we need a bridge here. Or, oh, we need, you know, something to get us to the back to this part or whatever. Because I'm kind of more of a guy that just writes riffs. I, I will just sit and write riffs and I'll just make a riff salad song and it's not going to make any sense. And August <laughs> mo- like thinks more from like a production engineering standpoint where he's like, oh, like you need a peak and valley here. You can't just have it flat the whole, like, you know, going 100% the whole time. So our, our styles work really, really well together because we both just like to 
you know, pick each other's brains and write sections and then, you know, help each other, guide each other where we would like to go. Um, Peter and Pale, like we said before, they're more of a punk rock style. They would like to just all be in a room together and just go. But when you're writing parts that are in like 11-4 or like bounce between 7 and 5-4, like there's no way to just do that on the fly. So so right. <laughs> I like to be able to like structure it out via MIDI and then we give it to the band and then everybody kind of jams on it in a room and then we decide, oh, like let's change this part or let's add a lead here. You know, it makes it, I think it makes it easier to start with a bass and then go into the, to the live room aspect. Yeah. Yeah. In my experience, there was always like how we would do it is there would be one person would go write it. It was either me or generally uh, my friend Leon. And it was one of us too. And then we would come back with the band and like flesh it out. Mm -hmm. Like get the skeleton, you know, there. So we kind of knew where it was going. Cause if we just tried to do it, you know, all at once, it would, it was never as good as having somebody's kind of full vision realized. There was one song where I had like a bunch of, a bunch of different chord progressions, but they didn't really gel together very well. So it took, um, the drummer took and wrote lyrics. And then my friend Jess, who's been on the show before, uh, like actually made them work melodically with my weird chord progression I'd figured out. Yeah. The song ended up pretty cool, but that it took the final step was bringing it to the band and playing it all together and realizing it was cool structurally, but it was boring. Yeah. And then I just randomly came up with a riff, which is the intro to this podcast. Oh, (laughs) that's awesome. That's very cool. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I literally, when I was trying to think of what would, would be a nice little, you know, jingle to have at the the podcast, I was like, wait a minute. And I just clipped that out of the song. Like I already got it. it. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. That'll work. I don't have to license nothing. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a funny story. A lot of people don't know that's where it came from, but that is the story of Man, the very cool. Introduction so is that song of, out like elsewhere? Is it like on Spotify yeah. so you can listen to it as a full song, not just the intro? Yeah, you can listen to the whole album. It's the band at the time was called Anchor Ashore, and we're all still friends and stuff. But we just you know kind of have varying degrees of interest in music at this point and uh anchor ashore yeah, we, that sounds like super melodic hardcore what, what kind of music was it it's like 90s like 90s alternative nice stuff yeah the, we very intentionally were trying to make a 90s record with with that yeah um the oh there's a fly on the camera yeah yeah i was like i just saw that <laughs> i saw like the screen blackout. i was like what just happened <laughs> get out of here um that's a first i gotta say i don't think i've seen that before but uh, yeah, Anchor Ashore, of course, that came like, yeah, I, we're all obsessed with Thrice. And so, of course, I managed to squeeze a Thrice reference into, because that's a, a piece yeah. of one of their songs. Yeah. How can I leave when my anchor is ashore? And yeah. we found it wasn't taken. So we're like, that's it, I guess. That's what we're going to go <laughs> with. Because we uh, we were trying to come up with a better name because this was actually like a you know, somewhat serious a serious project for us. Um. Because we had been just joking around and we named ourselves Gravy Train after the bag of Gravy Train dog food that was laying on the floor. <laughs> and so we're just trying to make it a little little less dumb than, than that. Yeah, man. Uh, I know all about dumb band. My first band in high school was named You'd Make a Cute Girl. It was just like the dumbest <laughs> scene. Like we were basically in a graceful ripoff band or like, like Moss the Flames. Like it was... Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a what a weird time to to go to school. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, that was a strange. What, what, what the flies back? Is that is that Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> like, uh, what's going on here? Anyway, uh, but what a it was a weird time looking back to go to school. Like, I feel like only in certain pockets of history, like, do you have an entire genre or quote unquote scene like take over the youth in such a weird and obvious way it was so strange to me i went to a fairly large high school and i've referenced this before but like one night literally half the high school went to the anti-flag show and it was like jocks and punks and maybe 20 kids from my high school knew who anti-flag was (laughs) really i mean i went to a pretty small high school there were uh like i had like 120 kids in my class so okay there there were a decent amount of kids that listened to like metal and hardcore and stuff but it was more the uh like surface level stuff nobody really dove deep or went to like local shows too often or anything like that right i was going to see like horse the band and dr acula you know (laughs) (laughs) horse the band oh man the nintendo core yeah i love horse the band that's so great um so was it what what part of the world did you grow up in uh i was like an hour north of philly uh lehigh valley area so allentown pennsylvania right around there okay okay the town i grew up in was called catasauqua which i'm sure nobody has ever heard of Catasauqua? I'm not even sure I can say. Yeah, it's, it's, Catas- it's I think it's Iroquois, some kind of Indian word. <laughs> okay, got it, got it, got it. So, who do you draw inspiration from these days? We were talking about a lot of past stuff, but how about now? Yeah, I mean, Coheed has been like a constant inspiration to me since I was in seventh grade, probably. But newer stuff, Tesseract has been huge for me. Or um, my, our old drummer German introduced me to Meshuga in like 2014, mm-hmm. and I had never. Like, that was one of those bands that I thought, like, oh, like, I'm not going to like them, you know, for some reason. And then as soon as I started listening to them, it was like I couldn't get enough. And I just constantly listened to them. Same thing with uh, John Brown from Monuments has been a huge influence on the way that I play guitar. Um, Mark from Vale of Maya, when I was, like, for initially getting into metal, was a huge influence on the way that I play guitar. Um, yeah, it's it's hard for me to say because when we get into like a writing aspect, I purposely don't listen to music. I will just not listen to anything at all. But really, um, yeah, yeah, I'll just try and, and like a lot of people are the opposite. Like they listen to as much as they can, but I try not to listen to anything because I feel like it's going to influence what I'm doing. Like even when we were recording this last album, pretty much the only thing I listened to like on the way to and from the studio was Rush, Moving Pictures, because it was one of those albums that like. I've listened to a million times over. It's already influenced me as much as it's going to, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, so other than that, Sleep Token is a band that I've been really, really big into. Uh, And then bands like Loathe and Thornhill. Um, A lot of stuff from George Lever, the producer guy. Really, Mm -hmm. really digging his work. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if I've talked to anybody that purposely tries not to listen to stuff during the writing process. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I like I just listen to podcasts and I just that's it. <laughs> podcasts are a very good thing to listen to. Everyone should listen to podcasts. Yeah, listen to more podcasts. <laughs> yeah, listen to all the pod listen to all of the yeah. tone mods. The Jason Tone one is sweet too. Oh, have you been you've been liking that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I've been I've, I'm super into the the YouTube pedal world. I know August was talking about it. Like the JHS show, I watch that at our house pretty much every day and then uh, Brian Wampler has that whole channel that has all kinds of stuff. So it's been, I don't know, the past couple of years, I've been really digging into that whole side of things. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Yeah, the, 
the JHS showed that I I loved I loved doing that. I don't know if you caught that episode or not. Yeah, yeah, but you I did, did the, not... the Russian one, right? Or yeah, 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 yeah. I did not know what to expect, honestly, and I was a little bit nervous. Not because like I'm. I'm used to talking on the internet. That wasn't really the issue, but I hadn't played with anyone in like five years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not much of a jammer, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I was not sure how that was going to go. I flubbed a few things here and there, but it, overall I'm okay with it. But I was, I was actually nervous about the jams. Yeah. I was, I kind of played it cool. They're like, you're going to be cool to jam. I'm like, yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. yeah I it'll, be fi- it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. It always yeah, blows, I was nervous. blows me away how, like easily they can just jam like every, every live video they just play a song and i'm like that could be a song like i would listen to that on the radio you know <laughs> oh definitely definitely no there you know josh gives himself like he doesn't give himself enough credit you know he's he's got 90s riffs for days and uh and you know honestly nick nick's a great drummer and he's a really fun personality to have on the show but i think addison he doesn't get enough credit. That I guy, agree. He, I agree. He, I, they were talking um, on one of the shows recently how like they need to like get everything ready right before the podcast starts. And I was thinking like, man, they put a pedal board together every show. And like Addison, mm-hmm. I know is the guy that's like everything needs to be nice and straight on the board and like perfect. And I can imagine him just like losing his mind and Josh is just throwing pedals at him. You know? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we were setting up for the Russian one, it was like. Josh is just like pulling pedals out of nowhere and he's like, here, just put this on the table. I'm like, just randomly? He's like, yes. And so we're just throwing all these that. old Soviet yeah. pedals. And yeah, it was it was a fun experience. I would like to go back and do it again now knowing how it's set up and how yeah. it's dialed. Yeah, as I say, like, how is the pedal room? Like, is it overwhelming to just see the wall of pedals? Like the the, the Klon shelf? <laughs> it was uh, amazing <laughs> it's so cool to go in there but really the videos make it look bigger than it is yeah it's probably about the same size as the shred shed which is about 305 square feet i think is what i measured it at it might be a little bit bigger than that and it's definitely oriented in a more square fashion where this is like a big hall um but it's not really that big it's just full yeah just like completely full uh, somebody asked me after I was on there on Instagram how many pedals I thought were in there and I guessed about 2,000 and then Josh chimed in in the comments and said no it's 4,000 <laughs> I was like what? because <laughs> you see the Dude, walls I like right? 20. I think that's too many yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but you see the walls but then all the drawers are full too Yeah, all of those Ikea drawers underneath they're all completely full it is absolutely insane but as far as overwhelming, it wasn't really overwhelming for me because I am also, I'm not that far gone, but I also have an obscene amount of pedals for one guy. Like, yeah. it's really dumb. Yeah. Like, two, I don't, last I'd count, I stopped counting after I realized I had over 200. I was like, this is stupid. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I can see myself getting to that point. I know August mentioned on the last thing, but one of the podcasts that I listen to all the time is these guys called The Minimalists. And I've been like sort of trying to, follow their guidelines and kind of pare down a lot of my stuff. So if I have gear that I see myself not using for like over a year, I try to sell it and pick up something new. But there's like certain things like the Pod XT Pro rack, I've kept that forever. I have like a like a old Boss Equalizer pedal that I bought in high school that I've kept forever. Like there's certain pedals that I feel like I'm just going to keep and hold on to, you know, until I die. <laughs> yeah, the minimalist thing 
uh, sounds really appealing and I can't do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can in other aspects of my life. No problem. Like, I don't need a whole lot of stuff. I'm like... I don't need like a whole lot of shirts or whatever. You know, I get, I have a lot of t-shirts from the gear world because that's just, yeah, that's just what happens. Yeah. It's you any, know, you go to Nam and get a tours or shows with bands. I'm like, yeah, let me grab a shirt, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I got a lot of that, but I don't need just a ton of stuff, but the gear is where I, that is a major exception to that rule. Where I'm just yeah. like, ah, give it all to me. But I do use, it sounds kind of weird, but I do use most of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like especially like like in the field that you're in, where like you you just talk about gear all the time. Like I'm just playing mm-hmm. music. You you're talking about gear, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I busted out my whammy for the first time in a long time yesterday. Yeah, and I use it completely different now than I ever did before, and arguably a lot better just because I understand music better than when I first got the whammy. Yeah. But I was like, I forgot how amazing this pedal is. Yeah. I can't believe I've had this in the drawer for a year. You know? Yeah, we, we used is... one of those on our record, and I was thinking about getting one to put on the board, but it takes up so much space. So I got a, like in the stomp, I have a an expression pedal that is controlling a pitch. So I'm like, you know, does the job well that, enough for the stage. That's, that's all the that matters. That'll work. <laughs> that'll work. Yeah, that's something that Misha was talking about. And yeah, that'll that'll have aired before this comes out. So we're, we're good. Uh, he was talking about like, Everything about performing live for him is just a compromise. Yeah. It's just like, what's going to work? What's going to get the point across? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's and, stuff that's going to sound better, you know, like, and then that's going to happen, you know, forever into the future. Like, the, the amp that you bring on tour now, there's going to be a better one a couple of years from now, you know, like, mm-hmm. you, you can't you can't always just go for the absolute best. Sorry, I keep looking. I have my pedal board on the floor over here. I just keep looking at it. <laughs> but yeah, like sometimes you kind of have to have to compromise and make make the the best of what you've got and make it sound best for the situation you're in, you know? Mhm. Yeah, cuz he was talking specifically about the Axe Effects 2. That's what they use. And he's like there's the 3 out and it is way better. Mm-hmm. Like and I know that it would improve things for for him for you know, but for the audience, he's like, it's not going to change that much. And if we get it, we're going to have to spend two weeks reprogramming and redoing everything. Yeah. When the two is fine for live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, just a perspective I hadn't really considered. Like, oh, yeah, yeah I guess live is just live. I mean, you want to put on the best show you can, but you also have to do it every night and you have to do it, you know, consistently and be dialed and be tight and be professional and sometimes the i hate to say it but the tone has to take a little bit of a backseat to function yeah and like once you get to that point that you've you know done a few hundred shows and you're at that point with your gear that it feels locked in and tight and sounds good and sounds the way you want it's reacting the way you want like why would you change it you know if if it's Mm -hmm. good to you now keep it roll with it (laughs) yeah i am a glorified bedroom player so i have the luxury of playing a completely different rig at any time but yeah i'm not doing that in front of anyone or on the road yeah and that's what i I even say this like keep the gear you have and then i bought two pedals this week i'm going to buy a morning glory after this podcast so like i don't (laughs) 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 we keep talking about the jhs show but that's where i found you guys i was literally by myself in an airbnb and i don't know if it was a instagram like explore page thing or if somebody posted you guys somewhere but i was it was it was literally while i was there and I was like, what's this band? This is interesting. We had, we knew uh, one of our friends, Juan, was, I think he was building at uh, JHS for a while. And we like, mm-hmm. we, that's what August and I were talking. I was like, man, I wonder how Blake found out about us. Cause like, I don't know. 
it's crazy that you said it happened yeah. at JHS and it's like we have like all these weird like relations with it but like not there you know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah I was I was just by and it had it really had nothing to do with JHS I just remember that because I'm not usually by myself you know I'm I'm not I'm not good at being alone so yeah. I was just by myself in my Airbnb waiting for the morning I, I mean like, that's the what? best time to explore for new music too you know when all when that's all you've got <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yep yeah and then I dove in and I, I really enjoyed it it's a it's a different take on, you know, the whole math. I don't know what you would even call it. Like, yeah. it's such I mean, a hard we thing. We keep like changing and going by it. Right now, I think we're going by emo mathcore. But for a while, we were calling ourselves progressive hardcore. It's like Peter's vocal style is so hardcore oriented that like we couldn't call ourselves like metal because metal heads would be like, that's not metal, you know. But then mm -hmm. like our guitars are so like like more like on the gent side of things or metalcore side of things that hardcore kids are like, oh, they're not a hardcore band. And it's right. <laughs> and then we have clean parts and everybody's confused. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it, but it all jives. I, I really enjoy the the uh, melting pot that has came together. It's a different thing. And that's what struck me about it. I, I think it was a, like a video clip that somehow popped up. I was like, what is this? Click on it and it was like, whoa, I've never heard anything like this before. Let's uh let's yeah. dive in a little and bit. That's what you need so, that sort of you need something unique about you. You can't just like make a band and be like, oh, I want to sound like this band and then write their riffs again. You know, like that's not gonna work. You need you need like yeah, something. That's why I don't like to like listen to music while I'm trying to write, because I would like to just make it all just come from my head somehow. Mm. That is that is a, such an interesting approach to me because I use I definitely use music to inspire me to write but it wasn't until this year that i was able to just be comfortable just making stuff that doesn't sound anything like what i'm listening to mm. but i definitely use i'm like i'll listen to like jason isbell and then go make some sort of weird you know cinematic horror movie soundtrack yeah. you know and yeah and it, the two don't really have anything to do each other to, to do with each other other than i'm just inspired by like creative people doing cool things i guess yeah so I don't know. I, I think it's because I've never been able to sound anything like my musical heroes at all. So I just finally had to just throw in the towel and be like, I guess yeah. I'm some weird pedal guy. That's yeah. What even, I do. even if you buy the same gear, you're not going to sound the same. So no. Yeah. No, <laughs> it never happens. Never, ever happens. You said you keep looking over there at your pedal board. What are you? Uh, what are you spying yeah, on? Ready? I'll, right I'll, I'll just lift the whole thing up. I oh, he's, he's going for like it. This week. So here it is. I don't know if I can fit okay. the whole thing on the camera. So um, the HX Stomp kind of controls everything. And then I use the 805 and the BEOD as my main drive and dirt channels. Mm -hmm. and I have a Morningstar mm -hmm. MC6 that MIDI controls everything. And then I've got a, uh, the Source Audio Collider is MIDI controlled by that. So depending on which song I'm at, it's MIDI map tempoed and stuff like that. And then, yeah, I've got the uh, Source Audio EQ2 up here, which is like my favorite new release pedal. It's incredible. It's got... That thing's two cool. Pass, it's got gates built in. It's got all kinds of stuff. And then I run to a Seymour Duncan power stage over here and out to the front of house and two cats. Don't ignore that beautiful little DOD on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. The stereo flanger. That thing the is stereo amazing. Flanger, yeah. And then I'm D using the, the JHS uh, whitey tidy compressor and that thing. Killer. I have the, the JHS unicorn on there right now. But um, I'm actually going to switch that out for a Digitech freakout pedal because we have certain parts in our um, set where that like sustained feedback thing will help me out a bunch. 
The freak out is underrated. <laughs> underrated. I've never played with one. I got it. It's it's actually in New Jersey at our house right now. So I'm gonna play with it tonight or tomorrow. Dude, dude, it is so cool. And it's not just the feedbacker thing. It's not just that. You can use it to like, you know, like sustain notes in a way that you can't normally. Yeah. Like it's you can really get creative with that thing. It is so dope, and nobody talks about it. I don't know why nobody <laughs> talks about it. Yeah, I mean, oh, I've seen it on some pretty big play. You know, like I think Steve Vai had it on his board for a while. It's like, you know, it's it's a neat thing. I can't wait to play with it. Yeah, you're gonna like it. It's a lot of fun. Just definitely give it some time and and explore the explore the territory because you you'll be able to do some weird stuff. I think you'll find pretty inspirational. Yeah, because I was I was thinking about trying to set up different patches that would have like that would like turn my gates off and then like boost my signal so I'd be able to have a better sustain and like turn up the compressor a little bit. But it was like, why do all this different routing when I could just hold the button down on one pedal and you know <laughs> <laughs> and let it yeah such a satisfying thing and why did it take so long yeah. for somebody to come up with that idea yeah i felt the same way when that ricochet pedal that they did came out it was like mm -hmm. you could now midi automate a whammy basically and i was like man mm -hmm. so many bands can can benefit from that because a lot of bands use the same the whammy for the same thing you know that like double octave up like mm -hmm. just do that with, with of the course, pedal, it'll automatically. Yeah. I have to ask Tom about that. Tom uh, from Spiral Effects, he's been on the podcast before, but he was the guy at the end of the DoD Digitech. Thing. I mean, you know about that, right? Like how they're yeah, not yeah. really. Yeah, okay. I think yeah. most of the listeners do too, but yeah, for like those I watched that the metal movie. <laughs> I bought it. Yeah, you all, okay. <laughs> all right, you know, you know. Uh, so for those that don't, though, Digitech and DoD are kind of on the way out, seemingly. They were bought by Harman, which is owned by Samsung, and Samsung basically said, we don't care about any of this stuff. Uh, we don't make hardly any money on it, so why would we care? And they they closed it down. They laid off all of the Utah staff. Tom was the head of that, and Tom is a brilliant dude with really great ideas and now is uh, making pedals under spiral effects for... Anybody who doesn't know that, go back and listen to his episode. But I'm concerned that we're not going to have any more freakouts. I'm concerned that we're not going to be able to get some of those yeah. who's more gonna, rad. Who's going to be the one to pick up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Have you played the Rubberneck? No. Oh, dude. Never even heard of it, honestly. The DoD Rubberneck is one of the coolest analog delays out there. Oh, okay. It, it, it was, I think, I think they were originally selling it for like 260 and then as the shutdown of Digitech has started happening, they started blowing them out first for like 160. And then at one point they were selling them for like 99 bucks. Mm -hmm. You could get them for a hundred bucks. And Tom was like, we couldn't even make them for a hundred bucks. He was like, we were selling them for 260 and barely making enough money to keep them around yeah. at that level. So he's like, they're just absolutely liquidating that stuff. But if you see a rubberneck really for any price, I would not be mad at it for 260. All right, it's, good to know. Yeah, I'll keep an it's eye on. <laughs> great pedal. Yeah, great pedal. Super cool features. The rubberneck where it gets its name is it it'll do I don't know exactly what it's doing, but it has a switch called the rubberneck and you step on it and it, the repeats go <laughs> <laughs> It's like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Yeah, it's definitely so, a sound, you know? Like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's and that's pretty much what it sounds like. <laughs> like Scooby Doo. But uh, yeah, man, 
Yeah. Uh, this is a this is a really gear based episode. Uh, sometimes this show goes uh goes off into the weeds real quick. I, I wish I had more friends that I could just talk gear with. You know, like <laughs> you can call me. You can call me anytime. We'll talk gear. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out all of the gear problems. It's it's amazing how through the doing doing this podcast, you know, and like it's a blend of you know builders and artists and stuff that come on at this point. And now mm-hmm. a lot of the artists will like call me and be like. Hey, do you know this builder? I have a question about this. And I'm like, yeah, I know this builder. And then I'll have to like, hey, is it okay if I give this guy your number? Oh, yeah, sure. Give him my number. And we'll f- I'll become this weird like interface of people. Yeah. So do people like <laughs> ask very... you for recommendations too? You're like, oh, yeah. you're like their guitar caddy. They're like, oh, what should I use for this type of distortion? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guitar caddy. <laughs> that's 100% true. That's, that's 100% true. Like... Uh, this is a long time ago at this point, but when uh, Frank Arrow was in town and he wanted to try like some Bensons and some of my stuff. And so I brought it out to him and I was explaining a bunch of different stuff that like how some of these weird pedals worked and whatever. He was like, are you a tone consultant? Is that a job? Should <laughs> Is tone consultant a job? That, I was like, if that it should is, be a job. I <laughs> want not. to be that person. Yeah. Hire me <laughs> for your next record, everyone. I'm available. Reasonable rates. I will be your tone consultant. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, man. Uh let's see here. How much time we got? Ooh, we're getting we're getting a little bit close. So um before we dive into the classic questions and all that jazz, I do like to give people the opportunity to, you know, thank their great aunt or you know, say whatever they want to say, plug whatever they want to plug, you know, and uh, this is your opportunity to do that. So what do you want to tell the people? All right. Um, yeah, we got, when, when is this episode going to air? I don't know. Uh, I have a lot in the can right now. So probably probably three weeks or so, somewhere in okay. that ballpark. Yeah, three, so, it'll be so uh, starting on September 13th, we have shows going up through up till Halloween. So if you're anywhere in the country, we'll be able to hit somewhere within a couple hours of you. Because we're playing, we're starting in California, we're hitting Texas, Florida, going up the East Coast, hitting Canada, we're hitting everywhere. So uh, if you're looking to come out and see a show, let us know. We got something near you. Give us a message. We'll tell you the closest closest show to your house, you know? <laughs> and, Portland? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Come see a show. Or go see another show. Don't even come see us. Go to a local show. Go, go, see, go see someone. <laughs> So support your somebody. stages. <laughs> yeah. Buy a t-shirt. Do yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Do something. <laughs> Are you coming to Portland? What? Are you coming to Portland? I think we're doing Seattle, but not... Oh, no. We are doing Portland. We're doing Portland. You yeah. are? Yeah. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Holler at your boy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> August is actually... Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but August is playing double duty that night because Hail the Sun's bassist is... That's um, right. That's so right. August has to play two sets in one night. So he's going to have he a did, rough day. <laughs> he did say that. He did say that. That I knew. Okay. I knew that. I knew you were coming to Portland. My brain is not good right now. But yes, <laughs> I remember that. He's playing two sets. He said he had to learn like 17 songs yeah, or something. Yeah, 17 songs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. August that's killer, gnarly. He's, he's, had to, he's had to pull stuff off like that before. He could definitely do it. Um, yeah. He's the man. He can handle it. Yeah. I can tell. He's got that uh, he's got that eth- that work ethic that we yeah, should exactly. all strive to have and and all that jazz. But yeah, man. Uh cool. So go see a show. And uh 
Oh, wait a minute. I looked at the time wrong. We got time. What am I talking about? I thought we. I thought I was almost to wrap up. We've got. I'm just, I'm just here until time. I start practicing with my band. So I'm, I'll, I'll just keep talking, man. <laughs> okay, we'll just keep going. We'll just keep going. So on that, like, what is the what is the best venue you've ever played? Man, that's a tough one because it's like, do I go with one that's like nostalgic and feels good for me or do I go with one that's like technically the best because we're, we're playing our first show on this tour is Chain Reaction and that's one of those venues that I've always wanted to play so I feel like that's gonna be my favorite but mm -hmm. right now I'd probably say the Black Sheep in Colorado because it's got a really good vibe their sound guy is awesome he like deals with you really well like we went on one of our first tours there and he was like hey like one of your guitar one of your guitar cabs is out of phase and he like told me that it was out of phase, showed me how to fix it, and then I went into my pod and fixed it. And it was like, everything was fine. It was like, th that kind of stuff is super crucial and definitely makes you remember the venue. So like, aside from anything else, I'm going to go with, uh, with, with Black Sheep because of that guy. <laughs> okay, I like it. I like it. You don't get that very often. Yeah. That is a, that is a sound guy dedicated to his craft. Yeah, right? You know? Yeah. That, most people are like, yeah, sounds all right. Like, you're micing my head. Yeah, and like, like I was, you... <laughs> I was the only guitarist, so like I was running to two cabs for no reason, basically, and he still pinpointed it, and I was like, all right, he could have mm -hmm. just taken the mic from one cab and called it a day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Black Sheep in Colorado, shout out Black Sheep in Colorado. 100%. Nice, nice, nice. So usually I save this question for the Patreon, but uh, I think this would be a fun thing to explore. What's the weirdest tour story you have that won't get you thrown in jail? Man, what is something weird that happened? All right, so there was one time that we were playing in Miami. Miami or Tampa? Somewhere in Southern Florida. And uh, we had a girl photographer for the other band that we were on tour with, Fever War. If you don't listen to Fever War, go listen to Fever War. Um, in, the, in our van. And we were just kind of hanging out, like chilling on the street, you know, you know, doing whatever, just hanging out in the van before the show started. And there was another van across the street that were definitely trying to get this girl from our van and take her into oh. their van. And we were, we like spotted that there was this weird thing going on. The guy was like pointing at her and pointing at us. Like, like we should have known what was going on. And we, we just got in the van and left. And like, that Whoa. was one of the first times on tour that I was like, that could have gone really, really wrong. You know, <laughs> that's creepy, man. Yeah. Like, was he like trying to be like, give me that girl? Basically. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. And I was like, oh, we man. were like, uh, Kenzie, get in the van. We're leaving. Like, we're, we're out of here. <laughs> That's so creepy. Yeah. That is one of the creepiest things I've ever heard. Like, you were supposed to just, like, like he's done this before, and this is, like, something that dudes do. Like, yeah. we just... Yeah, it was almost over. like he expected us to know and be like, yeah, here's this girl, you know? Like... Yeah, just take... Yeah, take her. Take her. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, so... I hope something not great happens to that person. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, definitely. And then an they correct their ways. Way. You know, I'm trying to be very nice. Um, <laughs> that is horrible. Yeah, I've so, like, never even heard of that weird. before. Definitely weird. That that that's like that's the first thing that that I thought of when you said that. I was like, I remember feeling very weird after that. <laughs> Where did you say this was? I think it was Tampa. It might have been Miami, but I think it was Tampa. Of course, you know who that was. Who? Florida man. Oh yeah, the Florida. It was the Florida. It was Florida man. Man. That, of course, it couldn't have occurred anywhere else. It was definitely, definitely Florida, man. Oh, man, what a nightmare. That is so crazy. 
Uh, do you guys do the whole van thing, or how are you guys traveling? Yeah, so we have a we have a Chevy Express thirty five hundred. It's a fifteen passenger van. So what we do is, mm-hmm. um, we have two benches in the front so that people can like sit upright while we're driving, and then we have bunks behind that, so we can sleep four people in the bunks, and then two people on the benches. And we usually bring a uh, photographer and a merch person with us, so we have mm-hmm. either six or seven people with us at any time. So somebody kind of gets either sleeping in the one of the co-pilot seats up front or they're sleeping on the ground next to one of the benches. But uh, yeah, we try to make it so that everybody has a full spot that they can lay down because it's never fun when you're, when you have just benches and like you're trying to sit upright in the pilot seats and it's, you have to play a show the next day and you're just beat. It's it's Mm -hmm. not worth it. So yeah, we did the bunk thing and then we've kind of been rolling with that ever since. Actually, I need gotcha. to build the bunks for this tour. We we tossed our old bunks and we never built the new ones. So that's what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> so I want to spit something at you that I've I heard that uh, I the I am legend guys do, and or I am legend. He is legend. Yeah, I was like, he's legend. Yeah, <laughs> he is legend. Yeah, I love that band. What am I doing? I'm mixing up Will Smith movies. Anyway, uh, they and I think this is a great idea if it works in the vicinity that you're traveling to. They will actually go, not every night, but they'll go try to find a KOA near oh, where yeah. they play. Because it's like 25 bucks a night or something. Like, you yeah. don't want to be, you know, spending hotel money when you're, you know, in this stage. Yeah. But they'll, they'll go try to find a KOA. And then everybody can take a shower, you know, have a nice, like, place to spread out yeah. and chill. And it's not yeah, so I'm crazily thinking, even if, expensive. If you bring a tent and, like, you have, like, a personal space, like... You don't have any privacy on tour ever, you know? Like, the most privacy you're getting is while you're in the bathroom, you know? So, like, if you could have, like, a tent to yourself to sleep in just for one night, yeah, that would be some luxury. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and some of those places have, like, little cabins, Yeah, you know, that aren't, they're just not that much. And then even further, like, even if you can't find a KOA, like, there's certain places, at least around here, that have yurts, and you can just pull up and dive Mm -hmm. in there. It, again, you wouldn't want to do it every night. It would be a it'd be a, a definite luxury. But when I heard them say that, I was like, why do I never hear bands talking about KOA yeah, campgrounds? That's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I'm a huge fan of camping anyway. So like, that I would think that'd be fun. Like, it would just be like road tripping, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude, and you could like roast hot dogs and like whatever. Yeah. We usually do, <laughs> do bring like a Coleman camping grill, and we uh, we try to cook as much as we can on tour. But you know, it's it's hard to do that. Hard to find time and space to do that. <laughs> it's the thing is, you never know. Some days you you roll into town and you have all day yeah and then some days you roll into town and you're like sound check in 15 minutes yeah. like, sometimes sound checks at noon sometimes it's not till six o'clock at night it's like are, are you mm-hmm. driving right after the show or are you sleeping after the show and driving in the morning you know it's like yeah <laughs> it's rough man i'm not tough <laughs> enough for that I, I knew that i love music i know that i i just knew from an early age it's like i i can't handle that tour life i don't even like road trips yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> different different wiring i suppose yeah. you got to be you got to be tough to be out on the road yeah it's definitely a different a different breed of person to be on the road definitely not for everybody and even like mm-hmm. even the shower thing we all like a couple of us get planet fitness memberships so that we can shower while we're on the road uh, and that works and we've been sleeping in walmart parking lots for the past couple of years but i guess walmart isn't like they're not 24 hours anymore since covid and they're not allowing overnight parking either so really? usually we would like sleep there and then you could like go in in the middle of the night and use the bathroom or grab some food or, you know, whatever you want. And now that's out the window. So we got to plan our routes a little more. 
I did not know that. I just assumed that would be a forever thing. Is yeah. Camping in the Walmart parking lot. Yeah, That's I'm, a rite I'm, of passage. I'm sure you could still get away with it. I just saw like some articles about it and Walmart changed their policy, but I'm sure you could still sleep in the parking lot. <laughs> right. We'll get yeah, They're it. probably not going to tow you, yeah. most likely. Yeah, especially if we're in the van, you know, we'll get up, we'll leave. Actually, <laughs> I have another weird story. There was a time in Houston, we were on, a, we were on tour with a band named Bungler, right? And uh, mm-hmm. we were parked right next to them, literally right next to them, outside of a Planet Fitness. And somebody got in the driver's seat of their van and kidnapped them. Just drove away with them what? sleeping in the van. <laughs> and their their photographer... Did they know there were people in there? No. Or... I get, their photographer was inside of Planet Fitness and he came up and knocked on our window. He's like, yo, Bungler left without me. And I was like, what do you mean they left without you? We like looked out the window. Bungler wasn't there anymore. And then we called them and they were like, dude, some guy just kidnapped us. Like, I guess he jumped in the car, drove, and then the guys woke up. They were like, who's driving the van right now? Because they, you know, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and somebody just felt like driving to the next show. So like they could have just thought that it was like, you know, the vocalist driving now. And it's Mm -hmm. like, luckily somebody was like, wait, no, we're all still sleeping in the benches. And they, there's only three of them in the band. So it's easy to keep track of everybody. Right. So (laughs) I guess, uh, Ryan, their drummer, like climbed up over the bunks and went to go like jump at the guy. The guy jumped out of the van while it was still moving. Oh, geez. And took their GPS and like a knife and some other stuff. And then they threw the van in park and they were like, what the heck just happened? Like, yeah, dude, that, okay. That is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that is nuts. You want to talk gear, Ryan Ryan Ankenbauer from Bungler. Uh, I don't think they're really a band anymore. They're doing shows here and there, but uh, he does sound for a bunch of bands. Like he does sound for Era and stuff like that. He's got he's a super huge gearhead. He was doing doing a thing for a while where he would have both guitar cabs and bass all coming from his one rig, and he could mute things with a with like a pedal that he made himself, so he could like have just the left guitar cab going or just the bass going or. I don't know. It's very neat stuff. And everybody thought that he was backtracking bass. And I was like, you guys don't get it. He's, he's incredible. You don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's doing it. You yeah. don't understand. So was he playing, was he playing guitar he did. and using different pedals to get the bass tones? Is yeah, that what, he actually, he, he actually did it both ways. So he used the pitchfork, um, and mm-hmm. like split the signal that way. So he used a guitar for part of the set and pitchfork down an octave and then would switch to bass and pitchfork up an octave. Ah, that's super rad. Yeah, very cool stuff. Yeah. I've never heard them. I have to check that out. Yeah, very that's, neat stuff. That's dope. All right, man. Here we go. We've now actually gotten to the point in the show where I'm supposed to do this. I jumped the gun before, but here we go. <laughs> We're in the classic question territory. All right. What? What is your favorite boss pedal? Yeah, I, I, t- I texted you about this. Like August, after he told me that, I was like, man, that is such a hard question. And <laughs> um, there was like a couple that initially jumped out at me. Like like one of the first times that I went to a show, I saw somebody using a Boss, either DD3 or DD5 or DD7. I was too young to, to know which one it was. But that was one of the first times that I saw a pedal and I was like, that thing makes cool noises. I want to make cool noises, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, it wasn't just like a distortion or something like that. But um, the pedal that I'm going to go with that's my favorite is the Boss SD1 Super Overdrive because mm-hmm. that is what Claudio used on the Shibuti records. And that's what made me like, that was like part of my big tone search. And I've had one. I don't have it on my board now, but I used it for uh, the past two records. And uh, it's just been, you know, it's been a consistent pedal sound in my life for a long time. So that's my favorite. The, the SD1. I think you you made a good pull. That's a good <laughs> choice. It's good, got like solid. this like weird, like harsh bite to it you know like it's i don't know i like it mm-hmm. 
No, it's a great pedal. I love the SD one. It's a very, very, very cool circuit. Good choice. I wonder if you were stressing about this question more than the boss question. I'm not sure. But I, I already know my answer to this question, and I, I don't think anybody's going to like it. <laughs> okay, here we go. What's your favorite pizza? All right. A plain slice of cheese pizza mm -hmm. with yellow mustard on it. Oh, no. All right. All right. <laughs> Actually, I, I don't know if... I, I love mustard. Cool. Like See, I love, some people are I, hit or miss, like love or hate it. I'm I'm a big fan of mustard. That's been my especially I a, like I have a whole if the pizza's been sitting out for a day, you know, <laughs> like if it's been like in the fridge overnight and then I reheat mm -hmm. it and then put mustard on it, that's even better than the first time. Really? I don't you know what it is. With, that's like, how I've always felt. You go with like French's, just like classic yellow mustard. Classic yellow mustard, yeah. Hmm. I'm sure that I can see some people like throwing up in their mouths right now, but yeah, I'm sure like some I, like real Italian would be like, you're ruining the gravy, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you had the hand motion and everything. That's so good. That's what ruining the gravy. My, my, my drummer, Peo, he's like, he's like Italian, like has family in Italy and stuff. And he, he's this, he is, he thinks it's sacrilegious, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's understandable. It's understandable. But in the, my love of mustard might make this work. I'll have to try it and let you know. But I do love a good plain cheese slice. And uh, I don't know if I would go with the, the straight French's. I think I might mm -hmm. like try a, I might try a, a nice stone ground or something. Maybe a spicy brown. Yeah, spicy you know. brown's still good. I, I prefer the yellow. I don't know why. But, you know, any, any kind of mustard's cool with me. All right. You're <laughs> a mustard enthusiast? Yeah, man. Horseradish mustard, too. Love that. Oh, dude. Horseradish mustard is awesome. I love horseradish <laughs> mustard. Oh, now we're on a totally different tangent with this podcast. Mustards. Yeah, I recently, like, I recently become vegetarian, like, within the past, like, month or two. So I feel like I don't eat mustard on things nearly as often as I used to. Because it used to be, like, any kind of, like, ham or bacon or, you know, any type of, like, meat sandwich. Slap mustard on there. And it's like, oh, now definitely. it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't eat it as much. How are you going to get your mustard fix? A man needs his mustard. The cheese pizza, know? man. The cheese pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, dude. Well, this has been a very fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank dude, you. me too. Thank you for coming on. This is really fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having August. Thank you for all your help with the String Joy stuff, man. It's been amazing. Very, very, very of course. about everything. Of course. Uh, well, I'm stoked to see you guys when you come to Portland, depending on when you get into town you know, time-wise, we'll maybe have you come by the Shred Shed or something. We'll see what we Ooh, can do. Dude, that would be so sick. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. All right. For Alex, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All righty, folks. There you have it. There's another one all wrapped up with a nice, shiny little bow on it. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And if you would like more, oh, we've got premium content for you. Oh, yes, we do. And by we, I mean me, because I'm literally the only one sitting here right now. But there is more over on Patreon and under the Apple subscription tab. So if either of those things tickle your fancy and you are at all able to, I would really appreciate it. For five bucks a month, you get extra conversations beamed directly to your ears every week. And honestly, it helps out so, so much. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everyone that is supporting on those platforms. The Apple subscription thing is finally proving that uh, my theory was correct, that it's just easier for some people. So thank you to everyone who has signed up through that. And again, I'm working on adding 
back catalog stuff. Over on Patreon, there's a ton of back catalog stuff because I've been able to do this for a very long time, whereas the Apple subscription thing is kind of new, and it's going to take me several months because I have to literally manually upload every single bonus episode to Apple. They did not make it as seamless as I would have hoped they would, but we're working through it, and all of the new ones. So every new episode will be there. Every new bonus episode will be up on Apple as well as Patreon. If you're subscribed on Patreon, nothing's changing for you. All of that is still the same, all groovy. I just wanted to give another plug for the Apple subscribers because it's very, very easy to just click that button and you don't have to swap platforms and all that. So anyway, uh, I think that's probably it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out that Kayanashi GoFundMe if you can. And if not, spreading the word just like you do with this podcast is immensely helpful. So please check that out if you're able. And with all of that, I'll see you next time. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company. And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.